What's up, guys? We are back with another edition of the DNVR Rams podcast presented by Chevalier Mortgage. As always, I am Justin Michael. Got a great guest on today's podcast, Eli Bedker of HeatCheckCollegeBasketball.com. We are going to go over the uh, coaching hires in the Mountain West, get his perspective, his thoughts on all of that, and also talk about the impact of CSU losing Dave Thorson and J.R. Blunt, which is obviously a big blow to the program. But I wanted to get, you know, an expert, somebody that follows the sport on a national level to come on and just talk about CSU's. And, and it was nice to have him because, you know, he explained, you know, the future is still pretty bright for CSU with Nico Medved. And uh, I obviously agree. So we're going to get into that in just a second. But uh, I've got to talk about my friends, Mike and Virginia Chevalier. And whether you're looking at refinancing your current mortgage or buying a new home, Mike and Virginia, they are going to make the process as smooth and simple as possible. You know, you're probably hearing how great the mortgage rates are right now. And yeah, Mike and Virginia, they have great rates, but they're not your typical mortgage company. What separates them is Mike is he's a certified financial planner. He looks at so much more than just the rate when designing your home loan. They're a small family-owned company, so you'll always feel like a person, not a number. And they're just a really trustworthy duo. Visit them at dnvrmortgage.com and enter to win a free shirt or hat of your choice when you do. Most importantly, you're going to get set up with a free consultation to discuss all your options. That's dnvrmortgage.com, where you can get a free DNVR shirt or hat of your choice, where you can enter to do so. And you can get set up with a free consultation to discuss all your options. Or you can give Mike a call directly at 970-412-2472. That is 970-412-2472. Michael Chevalier, NMLS number 1931006. Virginia Chevalier, NMLS number 1910631. The fans are obviously disappointed losing... Dave Thorson and J.R. Blunt in the same offseason is brutal. And, you know, we'll kind of talk about that. But, hey, I mean, so far it, it hasn't been too bad as far as, you know, like transfers or anything like that. So things are still looking up. They got Medved. I I think there's reason yeah. to be excited still. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. Before we get into that, though, I'm kind of curious, just since we started talking about these transfers, do you think so much player movement makes it, you know, harder to be loyal as a college basketball fan, or or do you think college fandom is changing more in a like an NBA type direction where it's kind of you just kind of root for guys, not necessarily teams? Man, that's a good question. I feel like college basketball is still such a team program spirit oriented type of sport. NBA is more so all the stars, and you kind of follow the stars. Like, I, I mean, of course, you have your hometown teams and things like that. But I think that's more star driven. But I don't know. I think it's still, I think it's still largely the same from a rooting perspective. But it's probably, it probably takes a lot more to be, uh, like in the no fan now than it was even five years ago. Like I, I remember when I was just kind of learning the game in probably early 2010s, like the you know Greg Oden years and uh, and and when KD was in college and those yeah. guys and. I'd have all the preview magazines and as soon as the season ended, I could just take like, okay, this junior is going to be a senior next year. The sophomore is going to be a junior next year. And then, okay, like we've got these eight guys and a couple of recruits who will be good to go. And now it's like, well, you don't really know what your roster is going to look like until, I mean, at this point, I don't, we had some huge transfers that were just before the tip off of the season. So 
I don't know. I, I think it just it, it makes it more exciting though, because I think the transfer market just is fascinating. And a lot of fans now can make big board lists and like, oh, what if we got this guy or this guy's from you know fifty miles down from campus? Like that's that's kind of fun. But um, yeah, I, I do think it takes a lot more to be a college basketball fan now than it used to be because it isn't just like all right, go here, play four years, and then you're done. Yeah, it's just a lot to keep up with. I mean, I find myself constantly you know, on my podcast when it's just me solo being like, well, hey, you know, you lost these two coaches, you know, but so far, you know, at, at least it looks like the roster's intact. And then I'm like, I can't say that yet. Yeah. Like, it's way too early. We still have yeah. so long to go. It yeah. could be the 4th of July and all of a sudden you lose four dudes and it's mm-hmm. just, it's just the wild, wild west out there. Yeah. Yeah. Especially out here, man. I think we've, I think UW's lost seven guys to transfer, maybe eight oh, guys man. or something like that. Yeah. It's bad. And and there was a, I don't know if you know of Kamir Wright, who's like started a decent number of games for UW last year as forward. And he was on a podcast with Noah Dickerson, who was on the team a few, a few years ago. And it was just saying like all these bad things about Coach Hopkins and just like the chemistry issues. And it's just like, oh man, it's it's not going to be good, man. It's it's uh, the present day issues of a struggling high major program, that's for sure. You're in a tough spot at Washington, I think. I mean, it's a place where I think you could have some success, but it's just, I mean, are you going to out-recruit, you know, USC or UCLA? I think that's a really tough sell. Other than, I mean, it's a, I mean, I personally, I'd rather live in Washington than deal with the the hustle (laughs) and bustle of Los Angeles. So I'd be all in, but what do you think? Where do they go from here? Well, I mean, I think I think Hopkins has one year left. If they don't make the tournament next year, which I don't think they're going to come remotely close, I don't think he'll be back. That's that kind of seems to be the thought process around here, for better or worse. Which is weird because he's only been there for I think five years, and he has two Pac-12 Coach of the Year awards. But it it's gone downhill so freaking fast, and now it's just a disaster. Yeah, it's so but, weird. Yeah, I don't, and I don't know, like. I really wanted them to make, possibly make a play at Craig Smith because I love Craig Smith and I think his enthusiasm and the way he can coach would have been so cool here. But I don't know. Like it's it's weird, especially because you have the football side and the football program has been so great the last five plus years, especially uh, under Peterson, and they've got so much investment into that program. I think they spend now almost as much as USC and like the major programs in the, in the conference and then basketball programs, just like, you know, maybe we make a tournament every fifth year and just kind of still be it. So I don't, I don't know. It's a weird spot, but, and there's so much talent coming from Seattle now, but with the way Gonzaga is going and now Washington state is getting better. Like, unless you're super loyal to Seattle, uh, you might as well just go to Gonzaga and get a one seat and win tournament games like i don't really see the incentive of going to uw anymore unless you're super loyal to the seattle area so that's just kind of a bummer given and this is you know purely an outsider's perspective you would obviously you know know much better than me but it seems like seattle's such a basketball starved community given that you know with the sonics leaving yeah if you had a relevant university of washington program it feels like you know like the city could really buy into that yeah i would i would think so it's it's so casual around here though like I mean, people don't know what's going on with UW anymore. And like, they might know who Isaiah Thomas is or, yeah. you know, Brandon Roy or those guys. But it, ever since the Sonics left, it feels super different from a basketball perspective. Like it's, 
almost a completely underground thing. I, and I think I told you this too, living out in Charlotte when I was at Sporting News and being able to hop in an Uber and tell people I write about college basketball and then they'd strike a conversation about Duke or North Carolina or whatever. That would never happen here. They'd be like, oh, like you to plays basketball or like, oh, Gonzaga's good, huh? It's just, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird dynamic. It's just not, a, it's just, it's a good city for basketball talent. A lot of good players come from here. And I don't think people really recognize that because there isn't an NBA team and there isn't a relevant basketball team. Yeah. But the actual fan experience, unless they're really winning games or they've got some big recruit like Markel Fultz or something, it, it's not going to fill up. People just don't really have that interest. We experience some of that to a degree with college sports out here, but it's more just Colorado with, with so many pro sports, you know, we have every major sports team and then there's just a lot of like recreational activities to do outside hiking and biking and skiing and all that. Mm -hmm. It's so hard to generate interest in college sports because people just, there's so many other things to do. So unless you're just absolutely thriving, it's, it's a really an uphill battle. And it's a bummer for somebody like me because I'm, you know, like David Roddy and Isaiah Stevens, all these Mm -hmm. dudes, it's like, yeah, you should really be buying into this right now, mm-hmm. but it's going to take, I think, like another year of winning, unfortunately, for the casuals to come around. But yeah. it is what it is. We all know how it goes. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So especially a sports town like like you guys have it out there in Denver, like that's a it's a really good sports town. A lot of you know quality stuff going on there, but it's it's a different dynamic in Seattle. It's all like football is the main thing. Every single person's a Seahawks fan. Every single person has this and that and Sounders have gotten really big, but basketball, it's just not, I don't know. It's just not a basketball town anymore, especially with the Sonics leaving that. And that kind of ended my NBA interest too. It's just like, well, I mean, that's fair. NBA like, team. Yeah. If, if the Broncos left, you know, I, I don't yeah. see myself watching the NFL anymore, <laughs> but the Broncos yeah. definitely trump everything out here. That's a one thing as a content creator that gets a little annoying. It'll be like the heart of March mm-hmm. madness or something. And they're like, which four-string tight end is Denver going to bring in today? <laughs> yeah. Find out next on Denver Sports Radio. <laughs> it's nuts, man. The NFL just, like, I at Sporting News, too, like, what channel is Dolphins versus Jaguars say is, like, the fifth most read article, and I just spent 10 hours breaking down, like, the top 25 of college basketball of the season tipping off tomorrow, and it's, like, not even a fraction of the viewership. It's like, what are we doing here? I know. It's so – and, and – I'm a big football (laughs) fan. Like I love it, but it just, it's gotten to a point where the NFL, we talk about it so much year round and consume some between free agency and the draft and training camp and everything else. It's like, I kind of need a break so that I can come back and appreciate it again. You know what I mean? It's never, it's never leaving at this point where we always have NFL talk. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I wonder if NBA fans feel like that too, because that season drags on forever. And that's also kind of one of the reasons why I'm not a huge fan and like college basketball, it's, it's a pretty quick season. And so every and game matters sucks. in college yeah. basketball. Yeah. That's not the case in the yeah. NBA. No, it's not. And like, I remember when I was still interested in the NBA and it's like, I don't know. I don't want to be the guy that's always like hating on it, but the, the one eight series, the two seven series, when everyone knows it's going to be a sweep or five games and the series lasts like two and a half weeks. It's like, my God, you can go from first in a high major conference in the standings to like a bubble team in two and a half weeks, let alone, you know, winning a four game series. So I don't know. That's my, that's my NBA rant for the day. I'm glad I glad I got it out early. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely drags on too long. And that's even mm-hmm. like, I'm a nuggets fan. I'm hoping that they have a long playoff run. Um, 
not looking likely. Jamal Murray just tore his ACL, yeah. so we'll uh, we'll we'll see. But uh, <laughs> the reason I, I brought you on, obviously, is I wanted to kind of dive into some of these Mountain West hires. I think the last time you were on, Patino had just been hired at UNM, so we won't mm-hmm. dive quite as much into that one. Um, and then we'll kind of talk about just your thoughts on, on CSU after losing, you know, a pair of top assistants. I'll ask you about a couple of names I've heard, just see if you know anything about them, and, and then I'll stop wasting your time. But I appreciate you hopping on there with me did. as always. Yeah, um, for sure. Let's, let's just start with Utah State, because I think that was probably the most surprising hire, at least in terms of that wasn't a name that, you know, I had really been seen floated as, as a possible candidate at Utah State. But, you know, Ryan Odom, um, former Maryland Baltimore County coach, had a lot of success there, obviously upset Virginia. Interesting hire, though, just in a sense that not a lot of ties. I know they I think they did the same thing on the football side as well. So kind of weird. What are your thoughts there? Do you like the hire? Is it a wait and see type move or is this a great hire? Yeah, I think I probably put it in a good higher category. I think it did come somewhat out of left field. I don't think many people were expecting that Utah State would go all the way up to the Northeast and grab the UMBC head coach and Ryan Odom. But I think he's proven that he knows what he's doing. Obviously, manufacturing the first 16 seed victory in the NCAA tournament, that says quite a bit. Yeah, it goes for a lot uh, to have that on your on your resume. But I think the way that he's able to build his rosters, he took over a UMBC program that had really struggled. And I I looked this up the other day, and I want to say that they had something like six or seven single-digit win seasons before Odom and his staff got there. And he immediately turned it around. And I want to say each of his seasons he was there, they won at least 20 games. So that that says a lot about what he was able to do to turn around a you know, pretty small program that doesn't have the most historical success and to bring them into that uh, tournament realm and the America East, which has always been dominated by, you know, Vermont. They're always at the top of that conference. But I think it will be important for him to dig into the JUCO market. That's something that he did quite a bit at UMBC, and that can prove to be really successful in the Mountain West still. Uh, Utah State, uh, with Alfonso Anderson, that's kind of a good example of a guy up in my neck of the woods who went to Utah State uh, as a JUCO and has had tons of success and a pretty solid role. But it's it's going to be a tough early sledding, I'd say, because of all the transfers that they've had. They lost Marco Anthony on, on Monday and uh, Namias Kedas turning pro. And I mean, they have seniors going out. Raleigh Wooster's in the portal. Like it's a it's a lot to try to try to form a new roster, especially still with COVID going on. It's a challenging perspective to you know have that connections with recruits, but. Overall, I think it's a good hire. I, I Again, it's not a name that I heard floated around very much during the search. So you can kind of say what you want about whether you want a coach who has that sort of geographical tie. It's a, something a lot of people talk about, and it's honestly the same thing that came up with Patino at New Mexico. But, I mean, if he can coach, if he can win games and assemble rosters, I think it will be just fine. But uh, that, that early studying, these next four or five months will be telling and and what this roster will look like come the fall, because it's a really challenging time for a lot of coaches, especially if you're a first-year coach trying to assemble a whole new roster. The interesting thing about the regional ties thing is I think with a lot of schools, it's generally an overrated characteristic. I do think you need 
a coach on your staff that has some local ties and connections that'll just make that whole process easier in terms of hitting the ground running. But I mean, when you, when you look at a place like Logan, Utah, I mean, how many high level prospects are, are coming out of Logan, Utah? Not a ton. It's not a huge deal, but I guess then again, I mean, some of these guys, I think beans from Utah, um, Sam Merrill is from Utah. Yeah. So it is a factor in Utah state, probably more so than, you know, maybe New Mexico or some of these other programs, but it, it just interesting in terms of where he came from. Like you said, going all the way up to the Northeast. Did he, did he rely really heavily on the Baltimore area as far as recruiting goes? I, you know, I think he was actually dipped quite a bit into the international market. I had Nate Dixon, his assistant on our show with Brian Burton uh, during the season. And we kind of spoke about some of the different markets that they tapped into. And they had quite a few international guys. They had Juco transfers, uh, it, kind of a mix of everything. So I, I would imagine that that's going to be the case again with Utah State, because as you said, there is talent that comes from you from the state of Utah, and especially when they're just a couple of years removed now from Sam Merrill being there. You can't say that there isn't talent that comes matter, from the yeah. state. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I, I think there's there's certainly a balance to strike, and Craig Smith did a really good job with that uh, to have two Portuguese players on the on the team, and Diogo Brito and Amias Keita, and to to kind of find talent in different parts of the country. That's really what matters when it comes to winning at the mid major level. Is just deal with what you got. And, if, and especially with the way that the portal is now, there's so many available talents out there that I think uh, having a program like Utah State, which is generally usually on the map and is able to compete for conference championships, I think they'll be able to kind of spread their wings and, and find talent in different parts of the country or even outside of the country. I think it's a really good gig, maybe even an underappreciated gig in the national college basketball landscape. I mean, they have the established success they've got a really supportive fan base it's not like their facilities are, are top of the line but they they're fine they're adequate it's a good place to play i think it's a i think it's an interesting hire i'll be curious to see how it plays out um the other one i wanted to talk to you about obviously is kevin Kruger at unlv that one i mean not shocking given his family history he's obviously an alum assistant on the staff I kind of thought UNLV might go big game hunting, but maybe they're just trying to get a guy that's willing to stick around for once. Yeah, I, that's that's a good point, honestly. And it's something I've been hammering home time and time again about UNLV is a program needs continuity in any way, shape or form. It's something that they've desperately lacked the last 10 or so years when they're losing transfers, when they're losing head coaches. They've had so many changes at the top that it's it, it would be impossible for almost any program to continue any sort of success if you're always losing players or coaches. So initially, I was a bit surprised. I thought, like you said, I thought they'd try to go after a big name or try to make a splash. But I don't really have a problem with them hiring Kevin Kruger. I think that makes a lot of sense for a variety of reasons. Now, his dad being retired, I'm sure that he'll be able to to lean on him even more for advice and, and tips to, to get this thing rolling. But I just think it's so important for them to hammer home continuity and having a young coach there. Maybe that's somewhat, somewhat, you know, maybe it's a magic ingredient there of being able to, you know, connect with the players and, and be sure that there is that relationship formed because it just hasn't been the case for UNLV. And it, there's, there is so much potential with the city, with the support, uh, you know, of the on the financial side to 
even dream about UNLV being back in the 20 plus win category and competing for Mountain West championships. Like that's, that's a super attractive gig for a lot of people. And to have Kruger in that space after his dad, the success that he had there, I think it makes a lot of sense for both sides. So, I mean, a lot like Odom at Utah state, these next four or five months will be super telling. And to be quite honest, he's already had a lot of success. I think he has three high major transfers already committed to the, to the roster. He's so hit the ground running a, from a recruiting yeah, perspective. Yeah, big time. So that's a really good sign. And, uh, you know, assembling a staff there and, and making sure that they find the right guys to make year one as promising as possible. It isn't what I expected to to promote from within, but I kind of like it. And I feel like, you, I feel like UNLV had to try a different avenue because they've tried to dig into, you know, the successful mid-major guy. They've tried to make a big splash before. It's been somewhat of a mixed bag, and maybe this is the the path that they need to get back to relevancy. It just feels like the Mountain West, if if UNM and UNLV could get it together, could really explode on a national level from a basketball perspective. I really like the the current TV package. I think the exposure was really good, and I'm excited to see it moving forward. But I like where a lot of these programs are at. You know, CSU, Wyoming, I think are both in really good spots. Boise State's still in a good spot, obviously. We'll see at Utah State if they're able to keep it going. But you need those brands. And I think without New Mexico and UNLV, the Mountain West is always still just going to kind of be lacking that that national exposure. I know they've got San Diego State, but it's just tough because they don't get as much of an audience being on the West Coast. Yeah, it's it's an interesting dynamic with the conference where you know, the, the old WAC schools are now somewhat of the leaders of the conference and your traditional Mountain West schools have struggled in recent years. And I think that there is definitely something to be said there, especially when you factor in just the overall support of most of these Mountain West schools. If a team is is top 30, top 40 caliber nationwide, it's going to be an impossible place to play. And you can go up and down the conference and almost every single atmosphere is is always a, a super challenging place to play. And we saw that with Nevada under Musselman when they really got things going. That was, Reno was an impossible place to play. Utah State with Craig Smith. I mean, almost every conf- or almost every team in this conference has had that moment where they're somewhere near the top dog and they just have an, an impossible time winning uh, or had, their opponents have an impossible time winning on the road against them. But uh, you know, it's it's an interesting thing with the footprint in the conference now with New Mexico and UNLV struggling and you kind of have these new faces in the conference with Nevada and Boise State and those those teams consistently being at the top. And if they're able to turn things around and, and continue to lean on some of their tradition that they've had in the past and things like that, and I think overall the Mountain West profile improves quite a bit, but it's it's going to take a lot to get there. It's probably as tough as it's ever been to be in this position for a lot of these programs dealing with the the lack of continuity in college basketball and just the just the new age of this sport. But uh, I I think there there were some really good hires in the conference this year. Even Tim Miles at San Jose State that's a that's a super fun one that I'm that I'm pretty enthused about. Um, but plenty of good things going around in the conference, and I think overall the coaching carousel was pretty pretty kind to the Mountain West this season. I will say, and then we'll dive into 10 miles before we get into the CSU stuff. UNLV, with all the NBA connections that they have, you know, with the everything taking place on campus and in the summer league and I'm just being Vegas in general, it feels like it should not be a hard place 
to get, you know, 12 talented players to want to spend a couple of years, but they just haven't got, I don't know. I, I, I really want to see UNLV do well, probably more so than any of the other schools we've listed aside from CSU, obviously, just because I think that brand would be fun to have them rock. And I want to go out to Vegas and, and you know, be, it'd be a sold out Thomas and Mac, you know, not like a, oh, there's like 2,200 people here. Most of them are tourists that cop tickets and it's just not a, not a good place to play. Yeah, I think, again, with the potential of UNLV to have that sort of atmosphere with all the allure of the city and the, the brands and NBA connections, like you said, that's a super cool element there. And we honestly got a bit of a taste of that. I think it was maybe year two or year three under Marvin Menzies when they got off to that yeah. 12 and one start or something like that. And I don't remember, they played some high major team, whether it was Utah or Illinois or someone uh, at T-Mobile. And that was like, that was a pretty big deal. And they were receiving top 25 votes and they had Brandon McCoy on the roster and Shakur Houston and those guys. And that finally felt like that glimpse of, are, are we there yet? Are we back with UNLV basketball? And hasn't quite panned out super well since then, but Maybe Kruger's the guy to, to turn around this ship. We obviously know what his dad did there at the program, and maybe this is kind of that generational step that they need to get back to the national map. UNLV got impatient, man. Menzies was building yeah. it up. I, I don't think he was a terrific coach by any means, but they were going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. It didn't make any sense to me, and, and I'm pretty sure you're under that same you know, mindset. It was just they, they got a little antsy. Yeah, I, I was surprised, and I thought it was at least a year too soon to to cut that 10 years short, especially as I'm always hammering home about the continuity with this program. But it's like, it's so it, it's, I think it's so important in this sport and it's impossible if you lose your double digit scores every season because there's a coaching change or something uh, like San Jose state would probably have perfect been, example. They probably would have been to at least like a CBI or, maybe a, a fringe NIT team had they not lost all of these great talents that they've had on the roster. And there's a variety of reasons for that. But when your when your best players leave to go to Gonzaga or go win 20 games at Illinois State or transfer to USC or Xavier like have, and all over. Yeah, man. yeah, exactly. Well it's, it, there's there's a lot of talent that's even come through San Jose State. So uh, you know, going back to the, the UNLV aspect, I think that there's so much that's attractive about that program still that if uh, if you can get it back on the map, and uh, I think Menzies was right on the fringe of doing that, and it just, it was cut a year too short. He was turning that thing around, and there was finally, it felt like some excitement about that program, but we'll never know. So we'll, we'll never know, and all you can do is look forward to Kruger and seeing what he can do with this new group. Well, continuity is definitely the theme for today's podcast, and that's going to be a big part of what I want to talk to you about CSU. But just briefly, uh, Tim Miles, we're obviously all big Tim Miles supporters out in Fort Collins, given what he built here. I really like the hire at San Jose State. I think there's absolutely no expectations. It, it, again, it's, it's a great place to live. You should be able to bring in talent. You've got a great pool around you as far as the state of California. You could lean JUCO heavy if you have to right off the bat. He's a great coach, really likable. I don't know. It kind of feels like the perfect fit. Whereas, you know, if he would have landed at a UNM or UNLV, the the expectations to immediately have this thing pump, you know, pumping, it would have been a lot different. Here, I mean, if he wins, oh, look at 10 miles. 
if he loses, they're like, it's San Jose State. What did we expect? Yeah, it's almost like a, a zero expectation. The only way you can go is up. And I, and I, to be quite honest, to go back to Gene Prelo, I thought, I still think he's a great coach. Good coach. And I think that, yeah. And uh, he just he just had a tough time of bringing back players to his roster and, and so many untimely injuries and different things going on. And this past year, both New Mexico and San Jose State played two combined home games or something like that. Just the the odds were always stacked against him, and that's why it's it's a shame that it ended the way it did because he's he's a brilliant college basketball mind and knows what he's doing. And it's just it's a it's a tough job tough job to sign up for, but so enthusiastic about Tim Miles being there at San Jose State to go from maybe being rumored for some of these other high major jobs. Like I know his name was floated around at Minnesota and some other positions as well, Iowa State, to then land at San Jose State. That's a that's a pretty big deal for the Spartans to get a coach of his caliber who, you know, took Nebraska to a tournament, which is, says quite a bit about his uh, coaching chops there. And I mean, he has a number of years of experience getting to the tournament of coaching quality players. I think it makes a lot of sense for, for both sides because, like like you said, the expectations are minimal. If he can win there, then that says a lot about his, his coaching and his staff. And if he doesn't, then you know it's kind of passed over as this is kind of the state of the SJSU program. But I, I think to have a coach of his caliber – and to have that enthusiasm, because he's, I don't know if you saw clips of this presser, but he is just like jumping with. I'm all in, and, dude. I'm yeah, going to buy a yeah. San Jose State basketball <laughs> shirt. Like, I don't even yeah. care. I will, if San Jose State makes a tournament, I'll be all in. I'll be, you know, Spartans to the final yeah. four. There's just, there's not a better dude. Like, how do you not like, he's exactly what you want in a college basketball coach, a guy mm-hmm. that can inspire the community do it the right way, give you a bunch of great one-liners. I mean, yeah, it's a great quote from a media perspective. It's like a dream come true. Yeah. It's, it's super fun. I know I think he said something like, like, I'm so excited. I could just let out a holler right now and have yeah. this, like, big smile on his face. Like, Oh man, Tim, you're the best. Like, it's, it's such a perfect fit to have so much enthusiasm for a program that has kind of lacked that in recent years, just, uh, for a variety of reasons and just a lack of winning. But uh, again, it's a really nice campus. We know that there is plenty of talent in the area. And if they can scoop up different guys from different places, I think that San Jose State can crawl its way back, you know, at least towards the middle of the Mountain West standings. But uh, again, to get a coach of his caliber, that's that's a pretty big swing and, and a home run for San Jose State. I think it's a really big deal for the program. I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Three years from now, is San Jose State at least a fringe NCAA tournament type contender? Or is that maybe a little bit too high to swing for right off the bat? I would imagine they at least have a winning season or two winning seasons by then. I think that Miles is good enough as a head coach to get the job done from that perspective. But yeah, man, you have to jump so many quality programs just to get to that conversation. And we, I mean, you look at some of the teams that we've had in this conference in years past, like New Mexico two years ago, and that roster on paper was like, oh my goodness, how is this team ever going to lose a game? And they lost to San Jose State and <laughs> finished, you know, finished like sixth, seventh, eighth in the standings. So I don't, like, I don't know if they would be in that conversation. I think that they 
at least have a winning season and a postseason bid of some sort, whether it's CBI or CIT or one of those, which again is a big stepping stone for that program. And, uh, you know, if they get back into 16, 18, 19 wins and miles sticks around and the players stick around, then that probably sets you up to be in that position kind of like where Dave Wojcik was in his final year before he resigned because that was a team that had, what, three, four double-digit scores that could have come back, and that was going to be a really good team before he resigned. So I would, I would probably say no for a tournament appearance in the next three years, but I think that uh, I, I think that would be shooting a little too high. But to get back into, you know, climbing up the stands a little bit, maybe finish seventh, eighth, and, and win 16, 18 years, I think that's a very reasonable goal to have. I like it. I like it. I think he'll be around for a while. I don't see, I don't really see him kind of jumping for like just a low level P5 gig or anything like that. I think at this point, I mean, you never know. It's tough to tell with some of these coaches. You never know. Um, but it's a great place to live. He made a ton of money at Nebraska. He's had fun. You know, I think he just wants to coach again, mm-hmm. but it's going to be fun to watch. Um, All right, friends, you know how much we love you but you've been letting us down a little bit lately. Yep, we said it, our longest and most loyal partner to date. Strava Craft Coffee has not been feeling the love lately. We've gotta change that. They're offering a new code to everyone. You can save 25% off your purchase when you use the code DNVR25. Not only do we love what Strava tastes like, we pretty much run off coffee, but you know, it's also CBD infused. It helps with so many ailments. It's different for everyone, but check out their reviews. You will be so blown away with the people stories about how Strava has helped them. They deliver straight to your door. It is so convenient. Um, and you can subscribe and save 20% off every purchase for life. Head to StravaCraftCoffee.com. Check out their delicious CBD infused coffee. Use the code DNVR25 at checkout. I also want to shout out our friends over at the Green Mountain Dental Group. We've had several DNVR listeners switch over to Green Mountain Dental Group over the years and make them their permanent family dentist. Those listeners have reached out and personally let us know how much they appreciate the fact that we, you know, led them to Green Mountain Dental Group because they are just the best in the business. There's honestly nothing more rewarding than hearing from our listeners that, you know, the the companies that we're working with are actually improving their life. And we've had just so many people say that about Green Mountain Dental Group. If you're not familiar, they're in Lakewood, Colorado. Really, really convenient. They're the best damn family-owned dentist in the metro area. They're extreme Colorado sports fans, just like all of us. Allie had her wisdom teeth removed there. Lindsay had her wisdom teeth removed there. Both of them just had nothing but good things to say about the experience. Schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam, and you'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush. If you do go there, make sure you tweet about your experience, tag them and us, show them how this community can support our biggest supporters. Green Mountain Dental treats you like family. They send you birthday cards. They're a longtime DMVR partner. They show us love. Make sure that you show them love. Only 15 minutes from downtown Denver. And the first step to good health is taking care of your mouth. Remember, get a cleaning x-ray and exam at Green Mountain Dental and you'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush at GMDG today. All right, we will get back to the podcast with Eli in just a second, but first got to lock it in with my DraftKings pick of the week, and for that, I am going with Anthony Edwards of the Minnesota Timberwolves to win the NBA Rookie of the Year. Now, if you would have asked me two months ago, I would have said this is LaMelo Ball's award to lose. You can still get him at plus 150, but given the circumstances after his injury, I just don't see him having enough games to win it, and that's unfortunate. 
He was really, really exciting, looking forward to his sophomore season. But Anthony Edwards, he's been solid. He's currently the betting favorite at minus 143, 18 points a game, uh, shoots about 40% from the field, just a really solid season. He feels like a safe bet and a nice way to, you know, make yourself a little bit of money. You know, we'll have to see what happens with the MVP award. Obviously, I'm all in on my guy, Nikola Jokic. But for NBA Rookie of the Year, going with Anthony Edwards, lock it in. And continuity, that's been the greatest strength for, for Colorado State over these last couple of years. They've basically been able to keep the entire staff intact. That is until this offseason where uh, they lost J.R. Blunt and Dave Thorson, just a brutal blow. I guess let me just give you the floor for a sec. What was your initial reaction to that news? And does that does this change you know, how you feel about Colorado State moving forward? Well, I think that there is a lot to be said about the role of assistant coaches in college basketball. I think it's something that is sometimes glossed over, but now now that I, you know, had this past season with Brian Burton on that on that show and speaking to the assistant coaches and seeing what it's actually like behind the scenes a little bit, it the staff means a lot. And that's not to say that CSU is now doomed because they don't have two assistant coaches on their staff anymore. But I do think there is so much more that goes into the wins and losses when it comes down to assistant coaches than a lot of people realize. I, I don't know if I was super shocked by these two moves. I think J.R. Blunt, uh, he's already, I mean, Dave Thorson too, both of these guys are recognized as two of the best assistants in this conference, let alone in mid-major basketball. And you have to strike where the iron's hot. That's kind of the, the theme in college basketball, especially during this carousel. And with so many moves at the head coaching's position, it makes a lot of sense why you would you would try to move up and try to get a high major gig. So, I mean, all the credit in the world to them, and they're they're very well respected. And I know the CSU fans really like those two, and really like the whole staff. Um, but overall, I don't I wasn't say that I was too surprised. I think both guys were kind of angling for bigger gigs at some point. And I mean, Thorson even mentioned it in his presser that he acknowledged that CSU is probably a top 25 team next year, but home is home. And that's, that's, uh, you know, that's a huge tie for a lot of these people. They want to coach close to home and, and be closer to the things that, that they were brought up with during their early days. So it makes a lot of sense. And you just have to tip their cap to them because they, they just do an excellent job. And I think they're really well-respected. It worked, and, and I'm happy for both guys because obviously got to know them pretty well over the last couple of years. I'll be rooting for their success elsewhere. Um, from a CSU fan's perspective, it's kind of unfortunate just given that from a relationship perspective, it just so happened that two guys that these guys were both incredibly close to landed these gigs on top of the fact that they have those connections to the region. Like, you know, J.R. Blunt and Otzelberger, you know, going back to high school, as we talked about before, like Otzelberger was probably like the sixth or seventh best coach in the Mountain West. He ends up being the first guy to land a major gig. If you're CSU, you know, you're not expecting to get screwed because Otzelberger leaves, but that's, that's kind of what happens. And then, you know, Dave Thorson, obviously the opportunity to go home, but beyond that, it's, it's to be on a staff with Ben Johnson, who he coached in high school. They have that relationship. You know, if somebody else, if they, if they go and get Musselman, for instance, is Thorson still being targeted for that staff? It's it's tough to say. It just that's just kind of how it plays out. And it's unfortunate for CSU, but you gotta root for those guys, two guys that are that do it the right way and two guys that are just really easy to root for, which it which is pretty common in college basketball. I think you would agree with too. Just 
getting to know all these coaches, like as a fan growing up, I, I, you know, I didn't pay attention to stuff like that. And now I feel like I have all these emotional attachments and I'm rooting for all these various guys all over the country. Yeah, no, there's, there's definitely some truth to that. And and like you said, especially when you get to know these people and realize that they're also just humans who have families and who have hobbies and things like that. It's not just, I mean, they're obviously super driven to win college basketball games, but that's not the only thing that's, that's prevalent in their life. So I think, I mean, both JR and Dave, they're just both really great guys. And I know that there's so much respect for them in the college basketball community. And that's, I mean, that's partially a reason why they got these gigs because they have such great connections and, and it's such a huge part of advancement in the coaching industry is to have those connections. And it's weird how it's shaped out with the conference this year in terms of the coaching carousel, because so many of these guys have ties to the Midwest. It's almost absurd how many people have ties with Minnesota or Illinois or Iowa or just all these different places. And for the Mountain West, which is obviously, you know, so driven by those geographical areas, but you know, I think overall for CSU, the assessment for them, there was so much that could have been said about the possibility of Medved leaving with a number of really, really great positions opening up that were in the area or that were high major gigs that Medved would have been perfectly qualified for. And so far, I don't, I don't really anticipate a ton of more high major positions opening up. Obviously, I could be speaking too soon because this carousel has been absurd and probably the craziest one ever. Uh, but overall, I think the chances are very high now that he returns to CSU. And I think that has to be a huge sigh of relief for CSU fans, because if he were to leave, that's, that's a huge domino to fall and you don't know who's going to be coming back or who would join him. It's just a, a situation you wouldn't have liked if you were a Rams fan. So I think, the, the losses of the assistant coach with JR and Dave, it's significant, but to still have the head guy on the staff, I think that's still a pretty big deal. It's probably better for CSU that Minnesota opened this off season and not next off season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I, I think I, they're I think probably I, coming yeah. off of a tournament appearance. And mm-hmm. at that point, he's probably the hot candidate. Yeah. I think, I think you might've mentioned that in the last podcast. And I thought that was a point really well taken about that. And it's and strange with the timing on these things. Like, had Utah not opened up, maybe Craig Smith would still be at Utah State. Uh, you know, the timing of, I always go back to Eric Musselman. That's a really fascinating one, too, with his situation leaving Nevada. And, uh, you know, now we've got the Arizona situation with possibly Tommy Lloyd leaving from Gonzaga. It's just so much of it has to do with timing and connections and everything. And it was just the right time for Thorson and Blunt to make the jump. And you wish them the best. And, I think they've both assembled pretty solid staffs at their respective places. So it'll, like you said, it'll be interesting to follow them and always rooting on for their success. And it's easy to do for former Mountain West guys. I think it's a pretty tight knit community and everyone's kind of rooting for each other at the end of the day. Agreed. Um, Yeah, definitely agreed. It's one of the things I like most about the Mountain West is how, how much people get along. And especially like from a media side, it's not like we all kind of get like, we're, we're the smaller conference. We all got to be in it together. Otherwise, yeah. you know, what's the point, but you know, where, where CSU goes from here is obviously going to be a big deal because having that continuity has been a big reason they've been able to, to have the success both from a roster standpoint and from a coaching standpoint. I don't want to get too ahead of myself as far as the, as far as the roster goes. Cause like we've said, these things can change just in a heartbeat, 
but they, they, I do think they'd like to fill this staff, you know, somewhat soon just to, to, you know, get everybody on the same page, get rolling again from a recruiting standpoint as well. They do have an open scholarship to fill. Have you heard any names tied to CSU yet? If not, I can throw a, a couple out that I've heard. Yeah, I haven't really heard too many names that have been tied to it yet. Uh, I mean, it's obviously a super desirable gig now, especially with the roster that we expect to come back. But as far as specific names, I, I don't have a ton quite yet in, in that category. Um, a couple of names I've heard just potentially that they've reached out to are um, Akeem Miskadeen at Florida Atlantic. He's he's had some success. Um, I know he's coached on the East Coast a lot. And then Larry Blunt from Drake, who I've, I've heard a lot of really good things about. Have you, you know, gotten to work with either of them as far as the, I know you talked to so many different coaches. It's, it's, this is kind of just a long shot, but are you familiar with either one of those guys? I believe I'm somewhat familiar with Larry Blunt and, and what he's done there. Uh, I think, you know, I think it would make a lot of sense, especially with Medved's connection to Drake. I think there's obviously a connection there and in, in that sort of deal. Um, I think overall, just I think it's really important for CSU to find a guy that much like the rest of the CSU staff has that sort of developmental aspect. And it's something that, I mean, obviously JR really hit home and Dave hit home a number of times. And even uh, Ali Farouk Manesh and pretty much, I mean, the whole staff really just hammering home the developmental aspect and every day getting better. And it's something that JR said so many times to us throughout the season. It's just to make every day better than the last one. So I think hammering into to those aspects is really important for filling these assistant coaches and of course to have guys that the players want to connect with. But yeah, I think I think Blunt would be a really good addition to the staff. I I, I know that he has quite a bit of experience in that uh, regard, but uh, I, I still think it could be quite open for a number of different guys. And everyone's of course looking to move up at this juncture. It's, it's a total crapshoot. I mean, they're, you, they could go a whole variety of ways. They could, you know, mm-hmm. go the Jace Hurl route and bring in like an up and coming junior college be, coach, yeah, or you know, cool. they could go get a D one, you know, guy like uh, Dorian Green, for instance, is an assistant on the color or on the Northern Colorado staff. He obviously played at Colorado State. They've been recruiting really well. I'm not really sure what Dorian's role in that would be, but he would make sense given his ties to the program. Or um, James Miller, the associate head coach at New Mexico State is a Colorado state alum. So, you know, maybe, maybe his name gets thrown in the, in the ring. That one would be interesting to me, just given he does have some regional ties, a little bit more experienced than some of the other names. Um, but it would probably depend on what his role would be. I guess he would probably have to get that associate head coaching gig to want to jump given what they've established at New Mexico state. Yeah, that would be an interesting one too. And I know uh, James Miller has quite a bit of, experience especially in these neck of the woods and as you said the the csu tie i think that would be a pretty interesting one so i don't know i I don't know if they're going to be super hung up on picking a guy from the rocky mountain area i feel like you could go a number of different ways i don't know if it really matters that much like we said i mean it it, it can come back to bite you like larry stacy didn't recruit justinian jessup but obviously came back (laughs) to bite csu in the ass um Colby Ross, you know, he's from the Denver area as well. Like mm-hmm. these are two guys that could have gotten buckets in the Mountain West and really helped yeah. CSU. So it, it, it does matter, but at the end of the day, like you just need the right guys. Um, thank you as always, you know, for, for taking some time to come on and talk hoops with me. Um, 
I'm interested to see, you know, how this plays out. I'll, I'll try and get you on once these hires are official and we can, you know, kind of dive into it all and have a little better idea. At this point, we're just kind of throwing names at the board and being like, well, that would kind of make sense. But that's all this process is. Yeah, exactly. We're all we're all just trying to figure it out best we can. And of course, the, I'm sure when we get back to our phones, something different in the college basketball landscape will have changed. And it's like, all right, well, whatever we just talked about for 20 minutes is now is now a completely moot point. So that's just the nature of the off season. And it's, it's going to be a long one. We've got another seven months to go. So it's going to be a, a lot of news and headlines along the way. So I'm looking forward to it. Rothstein says we sleep in May, but I don't know what he's talking about. Cause it's <laughs> going to be like August by the time I get a nap. <laughs> um, exactly. <laughs> follow my guy, Eli Becker on Twitter. Make sure you're checking out heat check college basketball. Some of the best insight around. They've got just a really, really great staff of, of writers. It's awesome to see how fast it, it's, you know, kind of been built up over the last, what, like two years or so? Yeah. The last, last year was our first full season. Only up from here, right? <laughs> That's right. We'll, we'll try to make it work. <laughs> full season, first full season in a pandemic. I know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Good timing, right? Great job. <laughs> I'll, pat, I'll pat myself on the back for that one. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. Thank you as always for doing this. You too, man. Thanks as always. With the cuff khakis Wearing graphic tees Feeling way too trendy Raps that kill Oh, I'm deadly Primed and ready Like machetes At a deli In New Delhi Feeling scummy Like Martin Scarelli Turn jam into jelly Then drink it like juice But water's the truth So I sip on that too Skinny looking kid With no car keys Like the only thing I drive Is RCRV's Got the stash Like Steve Harvey Oh, I'm gnarly